Hello and welcome to today's COP24 covered mini podcast from Edie. This is the series in which we bring you all the news, views and key takeaways you need to hear from the biggest climate change summit in the world. My name is Sarah George, I'm Edie's reporter and today, that's Thursday, December 13th, I'll be rounding up the key takeaways for the day and looking ahead to the last 24 hours of events for the conference. Coming up on today's podcast, we have our usual good cop and bad cop segment. We'll be rounding up the key reactions to the major developments at the conference so far. And we have a very special phone-in from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership's Senior Programme Manager, Ursula Woodburn. If you've been following this podcast since the first episode, you'll know that a lot has been going on since the first 200 delegates landed in Katowice ahead of the summit on Monday, December 3rd. More than 32,000 people are now believed to have attended the conference, either in part or for the full duration. Many of these attendees are representing businesses, with the likes of IKEA, Stella McCartney and Mars all having led sessions at the conference in a bid to boost collaboration between the private and public sectors, between businesses, nations, NGOs and academics, and to spur more ambitious action. In previous episodes, we've summarised some of the new announcement from these companies, from IKEA's decision to make its best sustainability practice advice available to the public, and 3M's pledge to build all new products with a designed-in sustainability value from January 2019. But today's big announcement doesn't come from business, it comes from the UK government, which was perhaps to be expected given that Energy Minister Claire Perry landed in Poland early this morning. Perry today announced the UK government's ambition to develop the world's first net-zero industrial cluster by 2040, a project which will need to be backed by more than £170 million worth of government funding. Meeting this goal will involve scaling up technologies like carbon capture, usage and storage to decarbonise in energy-intensive industries such as steel, cement and the chemical sector. This is something the Minister claims will establish the UK as a world leader in the low-carbon technology sector. The announcement comes just weeks after Perry unveiled plans to make carbon capture, usage and storage technologies a reality in the UK, including an aim to bring the nation's first large-scale CCUS facility online by the mid-2020s. This was a piece that was covered on our site at the time, so please do go and read that if you need to catch up. As her session drew to a close, Perry also said the UK would like to host COP26 in two years' time. That'll be the 2020 summit, so watch this space. Elsewhere, world leaders are in talks to strengthen both national and international carbon targets for 2020 in the wake of the recent IPCC report. But a decision as to whether such measures will be taken and who they will be adopted by as so is yet to be announced. Talks to develop the Paris Agreement rulebook, the document outlining how much each signatory nation will need to contribute in terms of climate funding and how this will be invested over time, are also continuing. We heard from the European Climate Foundation's Chief Executive Officer, Lawrence Trubiani, yesterday, and she said that talks were going smoothly and quickly. But media reports today seem to suggest that this is not the case any longer. Delegates are reportedly conflicted over whether to publish and implement a complete but imperfect rulebook by the end of the week, or to push the deadline back in order to create a more comprehensive document. Those who do not believe that the rulebook is close enough to completion for the Saturday deadline have called it a Swiss cheese rulebook, meaning that it is full of holes with clauses not watertight enough to account for all feasible possibilities. The UN's Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has warned that leaving the conference without an agreed rulebook would be immoral and suicidal. Despite progress in the negotiating text, much remains to be done, he told delegates.
key political issues remain unsolved. This is not surprising because we recognise the complexity of this work, but we are running out of time. Over the past 10 days, many of you have worked long, hard hours and I want to acknowledge your efforts, but we need to accelerate these efforts to reach consensus if we want to follow up on those commitments made in Paris in 2015, he added. He concluded that only an agreed paper would serve to, quote, unleash the power of the Paris Agreement. The good news, however, is that a group of nations referring to themselves as the High Ambition Coalition have signed a letter saying it will not be acceptable for them to leave the Katowice summit without a decision that welcomes the IPCC's report and aligns the Paris Agreement rulebook with a 1.5c trajectory. The signing of the letter comes after the US, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and Russia said they would take the report into consideration rather than embed it into any future climate strategy. Signatories of the High Ambition Coalition letter are representatives from Grenada, Ethiopia, Germany, Norway, Canada, Switzerland, Argentina, Denmark, Colombia and the EU. So it's already beginning to look like a mixed picture for today and for the rest of the conference. With that in mind, we'll move swiftly on to our Good Cop, Bad Cop game, where we round up welcome announcements from the summit, the Good Cop, and those which have been met with disdain, the Bad Cop. The story I've chosen for Good Cop is that it's Education Day, meaning that a series of sessions are being held today to chart and accelerate progress towards Sustainable Development Goal 4, quality of education. During one of these sessions, Princess Abse Dijma, the special envoy of the President for Sustainable Development Goals and Climate Change, delivered a keynote speech detailing why achieving the remaining 16 goals would be impossible without improved education practice worldwide. Sessions focused on why children should be taught about green jobs they could take in sectors like renewables, clean tech and CSR, and on the importance of schools and universities in the conversations needed to spark ideas and encourage long-lasting behaviour change among their student bodies. Elsewhere, this conference seemed to have made a U-turn on its meal offerings, listed as the bad cop by Matt in episode 2, for their inclusion of a lot of meat and therefore their high carbon footprints. For lunch today, all delegates were offered one of IKEA's veggie hot dogs, which the retailer claims produced just one-seventh of the carbon um, emitted by the traditional pork variety throughout their lifetime. As for the bad cop, concerns surrounding the so-called yellow jacket protests in France have proven to be a key sticking point during recent sessions. Representatives from other EU nations have claimed that President Macron's decision to take measures to cap fossil fuel prices while increasing wages have reduced the nation's credibility in climate talks. France obviously disagrees, but representatives from Italy and the Netherlands have reportedly been publicly mocking Macron over this decision. Greenpeace, meanwhile, have said there are clear links between climate security and peace. The body said in a statement, We need states to find solutions. These yellow vests are a lesson, highlighting how fundamental the link between climate security and peace really is. Germany, meanwhile, has used the issue to argue that more must be done to ensure a just and equal transition to renewable power in former coal regions. Another story which has been met with backlash at COP24 is news that Poland has been increasingly moving to deport green activists and protesters from the summit, with 14 having been arrested with a view to be sent out of mainland Europe as of Wednesday evening. But in the interest of not ending this podcast on a bad note, our final section will be a live phone-in with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership's Senior Programme Manager, Ursula Woodburn, who is on the ground in Katowice today. The Institute has today launched a campaign called Hashtag Step Up Now, 
which is calling on EU nations to adopt a net zero emissions goal by 2050 at the latest and review their existing 2030 targets accordingly. Businesses are, of course, welcome to set such goals under the initiative and lead by example to drive progress from their nations and cities. So without further ado, we should say hello. Yes, so I think I'm lucky enough to have Ursula on the phone now. Ursula, how are you this morning? I'm doing very well, thank you. Okay, fantastic. Um, How long have you been in Poland for? Did you arrive for the first day of the summit? No, I I came for the second week. I I got in on on Sunday afternoon, so I'm heading towards the end of my week here. Mm, And then are you going to be staying until until the end now, I presume? Uh, No, I'm uh, leaving tomorrow morning, unfortunately. Um, But um, I think by then we'll have done a lot of the, the work that we are trying to do, so... And what exactly is CISL up to at the conference? What role have you guys been playing so far and what do you guys have planned for the end of the conference? Yeah, so um, the CISL um, is is here also with our corporate leaders group, which is a member association of progressive companies engaged in climate dialogue, um, which we we convene. And um, we've been working with our partners at We Mean Business to demonstrate support for ambition with the parties as they negotiate the next steps for the Paris Agreement. But also, we also work with the Green Growth Platform, which brings together EU member states, MEPs and business. And we've been holding some really positive discussions um, responding to the EU's 2050 strategy, which is about showing how business is supporting the need for a climate neutral future. And so we've been doing this with both European businesses, but also Japanese uh, and Indian businesses. We are also today launching a new initiative with the European Climate Foundation and E3G called Step Up Now EU. Um, About 45 cities, regions, investors and businesses um, have joined together to call on EU leaders to commit to net zero emissions by 2050. And we've got um, a great website showing how these actors already doing work on climate change and seeing action as an opportunity to clean our air and water and reduce waste while making homes and cities a better place to live. So we've really been trying to build momentum around the business case for ambition and um, doing a lot of different initiatives to show the role of business, the role of innovation and, and overall trying to shore up the EU ambition. And where do you see the value in this partnership between, as you've mentioned, so many different kinds of actors like businesses, cities, academics, NGOs? I think it's incredibly important. Um, non-state actors are really uh, having more and more of an impact, I think, at COP and being brought more and more into the discussions. We've seen this through the Talano dialogue and overall the real need to bring people into the debate I think a key theme that we've seen here and more broadly in Europe in the past year is that to do any kind of climate action, we have to bring people with us. It means that we all have to work together. I mean, the transformation that we require to, you know, to make sure that we don't go above 1.5 degrees C is going to have such an enormous impact on people's lives. We have to have a joint uh, vision on this and we have to all work together. And with that sense of increased urgency, do you think that's being driven by the IPCC report or is there something else going on? I think the IPCC report um, really coalesced and ensured that nobody can deny now the urgency to respond to uh, climate action. And I think, you know, if you listen to what Antonio Gutierrez said uh, recently, he said that 
if we don't increase our climate pledges, if governments don't increase ambition, then this is an immoral path. I think the IPCC report has coalesced that thought. I think also people are marching. I mean, I was just in Brussels uh, the other week with the climate march when there were 70,000 people more or less on the streets. We've really been inspired by the clarity being brought by youth movements to the COP. I don't know if you've seen the, um, the coverage about Greta Thunberg, who's the 15-year-old climate activist from Sweden. Mm. And she's made some incredible speeches calling on the leaders to stop talking and start acting, you know, in the interests of the next generation. Well, there we go. Fingers crossed for less talk and more action as we head into the last days of the summit. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Oh. No problem. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Take care. There you have it, our last live phone-in of this COP conference podcast series. As you'll know, there is one last day of talks with the final documents, including the rulebook, expected to be published on Saturday. So you're probably thinking, why is Edie saying this is their last live phone-in? Shouldn't there be one more episode? As much as we'd love to bring you one last COP24 covered podcast, it's our annual Christmas party with The Office tomorrow, and we don't want to seem like the team of Scrooges. So in lieu of podcasts, we will be hosting some special blogs from business representatives who have attended the conference next week. These posts, which will be live on the site before Christmas, will sum up their key takeaways and reflect on all the happenings of the past two weeks from a business perspective. So without further ado, I'd best nip off down the shop because I need a Santa hat, some jingle bells and a bottle of mulled wine for tomorrow. That means it's good night from me and take care. Goodbye.